Welcome back to the DC Yoga Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Parkinson. I'm here today at Hardcast Media with producer Panama and the wonderful Hyrick House in DuPont Circle, Washington, DC. My guest today is Eric Schwartz. Uh, Eric is an American yoga teacher and life coach living in Western Australia. His teaching style is engaging, empowering, and creative, embracing the full potential of body, mind, and spirit. His personal journey and transcendent life teachings light up his classes, shining hope, unwavering faith, and transformation. Eric's teachings inspire students from all walks of life to offer their best to themselves in the world. He incorporates embodied wisdom from his work as a life coach and his teachings serve as a backdrop for the real transformation that happens when a student learns to quiet the mind and open the heart. In 2016, he was voted best yoga instructor in Washington, D.C. Uh, you can find more about him on heartofthemotherretreats.com and ericschwartzyoga.com. Welcome, Eric. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to have you here. So it's been what, like four years since we've seen each other? Three years? How long is it? You're rounding been? up a little bit. Am two, I? Two and a half years. I left in yeah. December 2016, did a little bit of traveling, and then landed in Australia on January 20th, Trump's, Trump's inauguration day. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you, so you made good on the promise that if Trump wins the election, I'm moving out of the country. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> when I bought my ticket, it looked like he was not going to win. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so how's that been in Australia, living in Australia? Ooh, that's such a big question. I first and foremost will say it's been really good and really positive for me. Um, my experience in DC was so yang, mm -hmm. which I think anyone who's been here for five minutes knows like this is a really intense city and there's just so much inertia to that. Um, but it became very normalized for me. And I thought that that was just my, my barometer was off. Like I thought my, my psyche and my mind was just operating at this really intense level and my body was not having it. Like I was having autoimmune issues like psoriasis and food allergies. And I wanted to move to the place that was the slowest place I could kind of think of. And mm -hmm. that for me was Perth, which is the most isolated major city in the world. It's as isolated as Honolulu. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah. it takes as long to get to like Perth from like another part of Australia as it takes to get from like San Francisco to Honolulu or something? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Feels that way. That's great. Um, so Perth was just this perfect place for me to slow down. Um, just it's the population density is down. The development is down. There's a lot more nature. Just even the culture. Like I remember um, being really, really frustrated because a lot of the grocery stores weren't open on Sundays or would close at noon. Um, cafes would close at 3 p.m. So if you wanted to meet with someone, you had to do it before essentially like 2 p.m. and then you were kicked out at 3. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but then, then you got used to it and you're sort of like, no, this makes a little bit of sense. Like to live this way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely did because it allowed space for a lot of healing that I needed to do that came with slowing down because so many times we speed up. It's a really convenient way to cover up whatever we're going through. And the kind of the danger of it, or the, I guess, perfection of that coping mechanism is that um, we are really good at telling ourselves that what we're doing is so important. Like this task in front of me is way more important than getting connected to my feelings, right? So we're always looking for the next bypass to stay out of the present moment and in dc is like a candy store of that like there's always something you can do to get away from yourself 
Yeah, which is really um, couldn't be more yogic than that, right? You're always looking for a distraction away from what's actually going on, mm -hmm. right? And the yoga is to realize that those distractions are happening and try as much as you can to not let them happen, right? Amen. Yeah. So right. this this whole journey was a way for me to practice yoga. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things I'm fond of telling um, my uh, my my yoga teacher trainees is that a lot of the yoga we get in the form of like the yoga sutras is really intended for um, really intended for monks, mm. right? It's intended for people who live in ashrams. Like you're supposed to sit and meditate and do all this work internally in a forest where there are no distractions, right? You have to, you're a renunciate. You have to give up your, your, your life. You have to give up your job. You have to give up your family to go out in the forest and become a monk and to do all these things. So that in a lot of ways, that's really kind of easier to do when you're in the middle of a forest. Hell yeah. Right. Then if you're in a city. So like Or if you're single. Right, exactly. <laughs> like and so it's it's sort of like, well, don't be discouraged by this practice of yoga because if anything, if you can calm your mind like in the heart of a city, then you're a pretty powerful yogi. Mm. Like there are so many different distractions and there's so many opportunities to just not look inwards, right? You can always be looking outwards and always have something to attract you. Um, if you can do that in the city, then you really have done a really, really hard work. Oh, well said. Yeah. Lucky students. I know, right? Um, so let's go back. Uh, let's go back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the the. When was your when, when was your first yoga class? Do you remember your first yoga class? Yeah, it's quite. It's it's kind of a a, a bittersweet uh, beginning for me. My I lived in this really strange country house as a kid, and. Um, my mom was a single mom, so she turned some part of the back of the house into an apartment complex, and we had all these... Whenever you do that, you know, you always have weird tenants, like a cast of characters as a kid growing up. It's pretty fascinating to see who rolls in and who rolls out. But there was this one man who was a kundalini yoga teacher, and I just, you know, he was just a yoga teacher then. I didn't, kundalini wasn't a word that was thrown around. Um, and he was attracted to our place because we had um, kind of like a big hall for events and he could teach yoga in there and it was my mom was like great i can do yoga too it's awesome um and i thought he was weird he had like long hair which i do now and then he used the blender for green smoothies and i used it for milkshakes like i thought he was using it wrong <laughs> and um then one time the cops came because he beat he beat he beat his girlfriend pretty significantly and uh, an ambulance came i think and took took her away so this really strange practice in this strange man was enmeshed in a really violent act that I witnessed or, as a child. So I w really wanted nothing to do with it for probably a good 10 or 15 years. Wow, that's pretty traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what, what brought you back? I think later I, you know, just kind of through enough exposure in probably pop culture and gyms and fitness, um, I was able to, to separate the experiences. Um, and I was very, I went to Costa Rica to study Spanish and surfing for a few weeks. And on my first day I took my yoga class and then I didn't stop. I stopped surfing, but I kept doing yoga and yeah. literally haven't stopped since, since that moment. Wow. How old were you when that happened? I was probably about 24 and there were two other yogis with me and we were all new to yoga at the same time. And one of them, we're all yoga teachers now, the three of us that went there. So and you still keep in, touch, keep in touch with them? Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, with Dee and Colette. And Colette is now like crushing it. She's like a resident yoga instructor in 
Ubud in Bali, and she just travels the world teaching yoga. She's she's phenomenal. That's so cool. Yeah. So what did you? So when you came back to the United States, were you living in D.C. at the time, or were you still? You're from Texas, right? I am from Texas, from and Texas. I I was living in in D.C. at the time. In D.C. Mm-hmm. So you came back, and you were like, all right, I'm going to get into this yoga stuff. Where did you Where did you first go? Washington Sports Club yeah. with Daisha Hampton. I walked in thinking like, guys, I've been doing yoga for two weeks. I'm pretty advanced. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the hard stuff. Uh, I remember thinking like, oh my God, this class is so hard. Right. Yeah. But I, you know, knew I just something in my bones is like, you can't miss it. Like I would go twice a week, once a week on like a, a light week. But um, I was just so in love with the space that she created and um, she had to suddenly leave DC because she had a stalker, which was quite dramatic. That is. Yeah. And, um, but by the time she left, I was again convinced I was an expert. Like, I've got this, I've got this. I can right. do Deja's classes. I can do anything. And then I went to a studio, Studio DC, where I met you. Mm-hmm. And I was then again humbled because <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So the yoga just kept getting more intense. And, um, yeah, now it's not so intense physically, but like the yoga of relationships and yoga of city life, that is the most intense for me right now. Yeah. Did you, so you think you were attracted to it at the beginning because of the, like trying to master the the, the physical part of it, the asanas, like doing the doing the arm balances, doing the bends, doing the twists. Like, do you think that was kind of what got you into it? Like that kind of ignited the spark? Yeah. I, for, I mean, there are two, there's like a light yes, like a, and a shadow yes. The light yes would be, I was feeling really empowered around my body and I'm, I'm a tiny guy. So for me to feel physically accomplished um, and positive about myself, that was amazing, especially coming from Texas, which is like football land, Friday night lights land. And if you look like me, there's not really room for you in, in there. So you don't get a chance to feel empowered about your body, which I think every, that's kind of a human right. It just feels so good. And mm-hmm. there's so much that comes with it. The shadow side of that, I would say, and I think, you know, two things can be true at the same time, but also contradict each other, but would be, I was looking for a way to cover up my own experience, right? And I was doing that through running for years, but then I was just pounding away at my knees. So I needed a new way to pound away at my body. Right. And for me, that was... A new way to self-flagellate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then at what point, like, at what point was it sort of, did something click and go, you know, like there's more to this than just like this really deep, mm. lovely backbend that I'm doing? Yeah. Some people will have like really profound stories to respond to that question. But for me, it was just a much more uh, gradual flow. I I think I'm very fortunate that I flowed from the right teacher to the right teacher to the right teacher mm-hmm. at the right time. Um and I think every time I flowed to a new teacher, it was, it was stepping away from the physical a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, um, which is still an important part and that, that I love. You know, I love it. Well, it depends on what day of the week you ask me, but today I really love it. Um, yeah. So I think it was just the gradual a shift in that direction of, mm-hmm. of opening up more and more. Um, I will say, though, that one, I did have one moment in my life where things profoundly shifted. And I think you're aware of this because I'm pretty, I've talked about it a lot. Mm -hmm. But my dad 
was diagnosed with cancer just before I entered yoga teacher training. And I had this idea, this vision in my head that he would die while I was in training, but he, he lived a bit longer than that. Um, and then he eventually did die. But I, as soon as I got home, I put in my two weeks notice at USDA. So mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have quit that job or made that big shift had he not died. And I definitely would have not made that had I not had yoga in my life. So I think the confluence of those two factors was, um, was huge for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you did leave, were you just going to go right into being a full-time yoga instructor? No. Um, I was very fortunate because I got offered a job at Vita Fitness where we connected yet again. Yes, we did. Um, as group program That's manager. later in the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had some like salary managerial responsibilities. So I didn't have to schlep all over town, up the red line, down the red line, carrying a yoga mat, you know, rain, snow, 100 degree weather, mm -hmm. teaching as many classes as I could, grasping for straws. Like I, I had a really soft landing into teaching yoga. Um, what about the, I mean, what, at what point were you like, okay, I got to teach this. Was this before the teacher training? Was this like during the teacher training? Like, mm. like, was there, was there a moment where you were like, that's it. Like, I've got to share this with other people. Like, it's just too much for, for one person or like what, what kind of gave you the bug to do that? <laughs> I still don't think I have it to be honest, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would call myself, um, I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to a reluctant hero yeah. because I know people do really respond to me and people want me to teach. And I'm just still, I think more than ever now, I've worked through a lot of it, but I've always, always had this block of like, do people want to hear what I say? Do people want to come to my classes? Um, but they do and they keep coming and they keep asking. So I keep showing up. I mean, for me, that's like a, it's a wonderful trait to have in a yoga instructor because um, the minute you start believing your own bullshit mm. is the minute you stop connecting, uh, I think. Um, and I, I think always having that in the back of your head of like, you know, what do they like about my class? What am I doing here? You know, I, I, that always stimulates growth. In mm. other words, like once you, once you've decided like, yeah, I've made it and I know all the answers, well then you get boring. I think, you yeah. know, I think, I think there's, there's something that the, the growth of a human that's, like as we get older, we don't do an awful lot, right? As we, we get into our thirties, you know, and we start to think like, okay, like now I know who I am and, you know, I don't need to change anymore because like I'm, I'm good, you know, and, um, that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but if you're going to be a teacher, I think you do need to do that internal work. You've got to you be know? a student. Yeah. Mm. All the time. Yeah. And you get, I think not just boring, but bored. Yeah. Bored with yourself. You get real bored. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had so many teachers on this show tell me like even Mimi, right. The, the marvelous Mimi Rieger came on the show and she was like, you know, I think I've been teaching my, the best yoga of my career this past year. Like yeah. I've just started teaching the best yoga of my career. Mm. And it's like, that's phenomenal to hear. Right. That means that there's change, right. You're growing and you're moving in a different direction. And you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating you know, to, to, to teach that way. Mm. Um, you started teaching at Studio UC? Yes. yes. Yes, I did. Um, and then I... Uh, that, was a, that was a lovely, that was lovely, by the way, that, that little crew that you guys had at Studio DC. I thought it was fantastic. 
Yeah, there have been a lot of good crews there. Yeah. I think even when I first came in, people were nostalgic for like the lovely crew that was before me and before them. So it's it's just happens in generations, you know, there's always gonna be a crew that, that is sentimental. And that I think that period of time also coincides with your you know, really when you started diving into yoga as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's probably very nostalgic for you in the same way that it's nostalgic for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the Groupon craze time. It was. Right, it yeah. was the it was the get get 10 classes for $10 at any yoga studio in D.C. Pretty much everybody was doing it. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think Studio D.C. was doing it that much. I think they, they had the intro package, but I don't think they did Groupon. I think they did Groupon they did. for a minute, and then they were like, eh. Yeah. Um, when you first started teaching, were you heavy on the physical side, or um, did you always try to like incorporate different stuff into your classes? I, I mean, yes. The answer is yes. I was heavy on the physical side for sure, but part of the training was you had to give, um, I say this oh, very lovingly, but a, sort of a contrived talk at the beginning for three minutes. A Dharma talk. Yeah, yeah. And, and then like, boom, that was it, um, which was a great starting point for me. Um, but I was like, check, that's done. Now we can work on side plank. And, you know, now I don't do Dharma talks very often at the beginning of class. Um, the way that I'm teaching presently is putting it throughout the class, mm-hmm. um, which might, I think that might be an adaptation just because it's more, I think, more suitable for Australians, or at least that's my interpretation. Um I think Australians like to digest their information a lot more subtly and you've got to sneak it in like potatoes, peas and mashed potatoes. But Mm -hmm. Americans, you can kind of like take head on and like tell them this is what we're doing. This is what we're talking about. And or at least in D.C. And they're like, yes, I'm going to eat it up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of my teachers, Brian Kest, who does the same thing, he 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 sprinkles it throughout the class. He's a master at that. Yeah, he he really is. He Um, is a master. And the and the, the one of the great things about it is you're you know you're finding yourself in this like twisted around into a pretzel and he's talking about like giving up your activity and you're you're going there shut the fuck up mm. and then you go oh wait a minute that's exactly what he's talking about yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's sort of brilliant the way mm-hmm. he does it um I guess we can kind of just dive into the whole like Australian yoga scene is it is it how well how what was your first yoga classes like over there like when you started taking yoga or Hmm. My first yoga class there was with this incredible, incredible instructor, Haley Schmidt. And I mean, I don't know why I've been thinking this the past few weeks, but I think she is one of the, in my opinion, best vinyasa instructors in the world. Like she is incredible. But it also makes me think like maybe there are just so many incredible kind of homegrown instructors out there that never really get their platform raised because there are also like a lot of can I swear on this? Of course. There are a lot of shit instructors out there on like really high profile platforms. And I've you know taken their classes online and just kind of agonized through them. Like, is this bad or is this my mind? And you know, do I have to do this? You know, have you been in that moment with oh, online yeah. classes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I but could it, just it, leave and no one would know. Isn't that a, but isn't that a wonderful like revelation that like, <laughs> that it's quite possible that the majority of the yoga instructors in the world are awesome. Yeah, and it's just a few of them that really suck, and they all happen to be on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, um, um, but yeah, she she taught an incredible class, and um, I work at her studio, and I've really enjoyed working there for the past two and a half years. So she is, um, 
just really, really just a, a legend at what she teaches. And she is so discerning about who she brings onto her, her team. So I've really just had the luxury of being around these, this brilliant people. Um, but also I know that one thing people found very um, appealing about my classes is maybe the shorthand would be saying that I'm American, but just I'm loud. I get to the point, you know, I'm not shy. I really put myself out there, which I think is what a lot of Australian yoga teachers struggle with at some point, probably more so than, than American yoga instructors would. Um, and that's not just my observation that I've, I've heard from other people. And I think one person said, maybe it's because we do a lot more public speaking from a young age here. Like I can remember doing public speaking, having to do it like all the time mm -hmm. in K through 12. And then in college, it was just public speaking nonstop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what, um, in terms of like the, the structure of the class, is it, you know, are we doing sun salutations at the beginning of class? Are we doing like what, like, is it, is it sort of like what we would see in you know 75% of the yoga classes in DC where it's just a flow of vinyasa class or mm. is it something different? They, uh, in DC, we hit the chaturangas a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of like right out the gate I've noticed, I remember. So there it's like a, a little bit more of a warm up time for sure. Um, like I've been taking classes this past week and it's been awesome. Like my legs have been shaking, my arms have been shaking. It, like, Where did you go? Um, Dragon's Breath, mostly because yeah. I did a workshop there and bought a pass there. And my um, uh, where I'm staying is across the street from it. And I tried to take Mimi's class when I first landed, but my plane was delayed. So I'm going to try and make it next week mm -hmm. at, at Flow. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it's good that I didn't take her class first and that I'll take it last. You've just been in shattered for yeah. the whole week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be like, I'm going to take that Power 2 hot class, which probably is the most intense class in D.C. that I could find. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll be taking that next week on my last night in D.C. Of course, uh -huh. of course. Um, so they they hit the, the Chaturangas later there. Um Classes tend to be a little bit shorter there, shorter there as well. Hour classes are popular. There's even 45-minute classes that are popular there as well. And for the most part, it's less social. Mm -hmm. um, I th I'd like to think that they're using this space as a space for quiet contemplation when they're coming in. Um, but one thing that I noticed here is it's just kind of a symphony of chatter and talk before and sometimes after classes, mm -hmm. which is... Um, a beautiful representation of community. Mm -hmm. I think that has to do with um, people from Perth are from Perth. So let's say that you grew up in um, Omaha, Nebraska. You don't grow up in the States and be like, I'm going to move to Omaha. Right. You, know, you, you move to New York, you move to LA, you move to DC, maybe a couple of other cities. But a lot of the big cities are kind of like, probably from there, from the region. Mm -hmm. Perth is one of those cities that if you were there, you're probably from there. And the DC is the opposite, right. for, generally speaking. So in DC, when you're coming to yoga, that is your community that you're stepping into. Whereas in Perth, I suspect that you're stepping out of your community to go into the yoga space and then going back into your community. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's beautifully said. That's, that, that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Um, when you are, uh, how many classes are we teaching there? I'm so lucky. Uh, I think I'm teaching like seven or eight. 
That's amazing. I know. Who would have thought it? You know, people ask me, my first response is, I used to be like, oh, I'm teaching at least 15. But mm-hmm. then I actually counted and it's, it's not 15. How many classes a week did you, were you teaching at your highest amount? Probably 15. Probably 15. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will be, I'm very honest with myself. I don't have the stamina that a lot of people have out there to, to teach yoga. But then also I'm teaching so differently than when I was doing 15. I mean, 15, it was real easy to just, you know, walk up and slay and leave. But now I'm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah. the Vita in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but now I'm so about like holding space and connecting to the emotions in the room and just like being incredibly vulnerable with what I'm sharing and communicating. And that takes a lot of energy. And if I want to teach from that place, and to be honest, I think I can only teach from that place now. Um, that means I can only teach a smaller number of classes than I had before. Yeah. It takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of energy to teach in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, doing more than, two classes even on a day is just it's just it's just hard to do mm-hmm. hard to do i remember at one point i taught six classes six yoga classes in one day i thought to myself well i'm not doing that again right ever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like just not doing how that. many years had you been teaching when you did <clears throat> that probably at the point i'd probably been teaching like two and a half years uh-huh so um it, it was a lot. It was one of those things where I had my own classes and I subbed for others. And it was just, I remember at the end of the day, like I literally felt like uh, a, a glass of water with no water in it. Mm-hmm. Like I just felt like an empty glass with like, like some drops of liquid coming down the side. Mm-hmm. Like I had not, I had nothing left in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's just, it's, it's not a, it's, you know, Abby talks about this a lot uh, when she comes to my teacher training, which is, um, when you are somebody who's usually, you know, sort of touchy feely or, um, you know, an empath, like you tend to just take on the emotions of other people and you hold that and you let them like get away from that, their own emotions for a moment. So you hold on to that. And I'm sort of that type of person and doing that for six hours means that at the end of the day, like all those people, all those emotions finally leave you Mm. and you don't have any of your own left. And you're just sort of like a zombie for, you know, until you fall asleep and wake up the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you can't do that every day. I couldn't do that every day. Um, just too much energy. Yeah. Yeah. You're not the, I don't think either of us are the personality type to do that. Yeah. I think I've, I've done um, a Ragnar relay race before, which is 200 miles. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt as tired at the, almost as tired um, after having taught three classes in a row. So I can't even imagine six. I remember yeah. like propping myself up against the wall where they were in Shavasana, you know. Are you, uh, are you still running? A little bit here and there. Yeah, rehabbing some injuries. Um, but I am, I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. What about your, uh, your own yoga practice these days? So do, you, do, you have a, do you have a practice at home? Do you meditate? Like what, what kind of things do you do when no one's looking? <laughs> I do weird shit when no one's looking. Exactly. Yeah, it is it is all over the place these days. Um Perth has great real estate, so where I live I have my own little yoga room, which is fantastic. And um yeah, I post a lot of um my self practice on my Insta stories sometimes from there and my dogs are climbing all over me, so whatever I can get with them there, that's that's one iteration of it. Um Meditation, you know, when I can throw it in, I love to go for a long walk. 
plop myself under a tree and do some meditation and some pranayama. Um, I love jumping in the ocean. For me, that is powerful yoga, especially in the winter, just that cold water, whoa, totally shifts and you've really got to breathe and focus on your pranayama there. Um, that That's kind of the crux of it. Mm -hmm. um, nature bathing, you know, but there's this phrase going around right now, the yoga of relationships, which is the hardest yoga to practice. So that is, that is my real life yoga is working with people and working with dualities and non-dualities and um, embracing people for all that they are, mm -hmm. their lights and their shadows. I've spent a whole lot of my life um, really celebrating people and then um, tearing people down if they somehow wronged me, whether not usually outwardly, like I didn't do smear campaigns or anything, but in my mind I would villainize people. But mm -hmm. um, My yoga right now is holding people as all that they are at mm -hmm. one time yeah yeah that's that's a hard thing to do mm -hmm. right like we are we are set up in a lot of ways and i don't know if it's an american thing or whether it's an east coast thing i don't know who to blame <laughs> while we're talking about blame um but uh that that uh constant critic that we have um you know to want to judge um and uh it's one of the hardest things to silence mm. you know I do, and um, this is a hard concept for a lot of people, and it was very hard for me, but the, the root of that critical voice is ultimately self-criticism, right? And that's that was probably one of my first mindfulness revelations or awarenesses, is like when I heard that critical voice to check in with myself to see what was going on or why or how I was feeling insecure in that moment. Um, so really learning to love myself, mm -hmm. which is a, has been a beautiful gift of my practice, um, has allowed me to hold others in duality. Mm -hmm. um, have you uh, have you done uh, Vipassana? Did you do the meditation, the 10-day meditation retreat? Have you done anything crazy like that? No, not the meditation retreat. Um, it is on my list because there are two places in Australia where you can do Vipassana and one is very near Perth where I live, but they've got a long waiting list and it's a whole process, but um, mm -hmm. it's high on my to-do list. I, I keep the dates on my calendar at my, in my little home office. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you're also working as a life coach too, yeah? Yes. Yes, I am. I found that to be such a great compliment to the yoga practice. Um, I'm sure you have so many students who love you and want to connect with you and share experiences with you and feel growth with you. And I'll find a lot of times that those conversations start stretching further and further and further out of the studio. And I was at a point where I was really either needing to say like, no, or we need to set up some kind of exchange for this time. Right. And that's when I pursued life coach certification and, and went to study that. Um, and that gave me so many skill sets, to be honest. I think I personally got so much out of just the training itself and um, learning how to hold space for others and hold space for myself. Um, so teaching yoga was a nice segue into that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, where do you draw most of your inspiration from when you teach yoga? 
I hate this answer, but it is my answer. Life. Why do you hate that answer? What's I wrong with it? I, I think feel, that's a great answer. Oh, thank you. I feel like it's a cop-out sometimes answer that people give. It can be a cop-out. but um, So I, I think in order to to use that answer appropriately, for it to be really true, you've got to constantly be putting yourself out there. So there are periods of time where I'm like really putting myself out there but then there are also times where I have this like yoga teacher narrative in my mind, like, oh, this is an interesting experience. Or I wish something interesting could happen to me so that I could use it and teach about it. Writer's block. Yeah. Yoga block. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also have been in classes before where it feels so painfully contrived. Like, so I was at a friend's party and he said to me, <laughs> and, and I asked him, what does it feel like to be 30? what are your lessons? And, you know, and it just feels kind of like they're really cobbling together a class out of a life experience. So yes, it is life, but I feel like um, there needs to be an element of, of wisdom and thoughtfulness and like time for that to really set in gel before you bring it into class. So, you know, you might have a mixing metaphors here, but like a lot of pies cooking at once and Maybe one's not ready to pull out of the oven yet. So there are times when you're like, well, my life experiences aren't really helping me in this moment. And then you've got to like pull out a book of poetry or read some articles or a book or, you know, watch a documentary. We can get some inspiration mm -hmm. in that respect. Yeah, it's uh, an experience, you know, the way I like to look at it is an experience has to have 360 degrees. In other words, when you first experience something, it's really just that 90 degree angle of your own scope. Uh, but once, like you said, it starts to die, you digest it, you start to, it starts to form a little bit more and you get that 360 degree view of it. And it really becomes like a, a real, like if you told the story from your own point of view and you had 10 people in the room, two people would go like, Oh yeah, I get it. Mm. But if you think about it for, you know, a week, a month, a year, maybe, and then you tell the story to 10 people in a room and, each one of them pulls something different out of the story, right? That's kind of what you're looking for when, you when you're when you talking about experiences, at least in a yoga class to me. Amen. Right? I, I, I use that model. I turn it on its, turn it backwards a little bit. That's how it works best for me. But whatever the wisdom or learning was um, from that experience, that is what I use as the focal point. So if it was a story, for example, about a class about what it means to get lost and not knowing where you are, I would teach to that and then maybe throw the experience in halfway through so that it didn't necessarily start with me. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So I feel like that way it's easier to connect to more people than just those, just those two. Yeah. There was, when I first started teaching yoga, I remember, and this still happens sometimes too, where you kind of get caught in the, well, all right. So on one level, let's just be honest here on one level, you're an actor. Mm right? Mm -hmm. You have been given these lines of how to teach poses and you're doing an improv session at the top of this class for a bunch of people, right? On, on some level, that's what yoga teaching sure. is. Right? I get it. Yeah. Um, and so you're sort of always aware that like in your, like when people turn on the Chris P show, like they're expecting like, you know, a little bit of anatomy. They're expecting a little bit of philosophy. They're expecting a little bit of humor. Mm -hmm. And so you can go into a class and you go, 
oh shit, I haven't said anything funny in 15 minutes, you know? And you're sort of like, I got to think of something funny. And then, but then when you start thinking that way and you try to say something funny, it just falls dead. Yes. Because like you're trying too hard. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of like what you learn really. It took me a while to learn this. And I guess I'm still learning it, but it, have that ever happened to you where you sort of like, you feel like you need to add something and yet like withdrawing that and just going like, okay, well, it's okay if they just sit there and like do nothing like that's fine too right yes yes i've i've had this conversation before and in those mm-hmm. moments too or those incidences where you don't offer like that particular dimension it's I, maybe it's not passive aggressive but it feels so passive aggressive when students come up after class and they're like are you okay you weren't quite yourself today and i have never had a student ask me lucky that. you it is the <laughs> most like demoralizing experience i bet and yeah, I just want to say to them, like, I'm fine. And it's really not like you are on your way to work. Are you going to sit here for an hour while I talk about, like, unpack my life with you? <laughs> <laughs> or do you just want to, like, snidely comment that you were aware that I was, like, off my game? Or maybe that you just didn't like the game that I was playing today. You know, I'd like to think that um, even on like my most subpar day i'm still delivering a quality experience yeah yeah well i guess i mean the beautiful thing about that remark is that it just goes to show how much like you are you are like showing your students Mm. you know that's you're giving an awful lot Mm. like that's that's remarkable remarkable Oh, thank you. That's so great i can't wait for you to get that question and i want you to come back and tell me how you felt i know i know yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, you know, I'm, I'm really good at putting up a wall and mm. just being, you know, that person who they need me to be. And, and, mm. uh, if anything, I need to tear that, that wall down more often. It's know? work. Yeah. Um, so creating community among yoga teachers, mm. how do you do that in Australia or how did you, how do you, how are you doing that these days? I will, for a context, I will say that this whole conversation for me started because I moved to Australia. Um, Studios there have typically one practice room where there are lots of places here where you have multiple practice rooms. And the beauty of that is you see other teachers if there are multiple practice rooms. Um, So I've had staff meetings in Perth where teachers have been there for over a year and they've never met each other before. They don't even know who the other person is. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then um, it's more spread out. Right. So people, I mean, if you're in a kind of a dense place like D.C., you're kind of likely to be teaching in roughly the same areas and more likely to run into each other. And um, the the conditions and the community and the fact that people use yoga as a community here really lends to itself. So teachers support each other. Like aside from me, when was the last time you hung out with a yoga teacher socially? I mean, I talked to a yoga teacher on the phone last night. There, there you go. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's a really social dynamic and it took me a while to figure out like, what is missing? What is missing in Perth? And that is what I felt was missing for me there. Um, have I cracked the code? No, not yet. Um, I do feel I'm getting more signals and calls to step into a space and actively inspire and create in that direction. Um, so far, really what I've done is just like a lot more one-on-ones with other yoga teachers, but it, it hasn't lent itself to 
something more robust just yet. And I, I don't know what that is going to look like, but I know there's a need for it. Um, typically because, and I wouldn't probably say this to like the general population, but this is a really specific audience. The experiences that a yoga teacher goes through are unique to being a yoga teacher. So that includes like all the highs and all the joys and all the lows and all the suffering. So it's a really unique type of suffering and a, and a also unique type of high, you know, like, wow, this is my first time that 35, I took a class last night um, and there were 35 people in restorative yoga and the teacher was just floored because she, Phenomenal. Um, Alexandra Chile, and she, yeah. she's like, if you speak with her, she passionately believes in the benefit of this practice on so many levels. So for her to have this many people show up and want to receive that gift of something that people kind of historically, and I mean historically the past 10 or 15 years, haven't wanted mm -hmm. and turned away from, that is a huge joy for someone like that. And it probably only another yoga teacher can recognize that. And then the lows as well, you know, like I had to show up and hold space for these people and, you know, uh, I'm not feeling appreciated and, I'm not feeling inspired and I'm going through a breakup or X, Y, and Z. And um, that also is an experience that a yoga teacher has. And it's difficult to, to witness someone fully. And, and it's easier to witness someone fully if they've had that experience themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that we, uh, as yoga teachers, we just sort of walk around floating on, mm. you know, clouds and, you know, oh, there's a bird. How lovely. And, yeah. you know, like, and the fact is, is, is if we were really like that, we wouldn't be yoga teachers. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think yoga teachers are traumatized. Yeah, exactly. I like think. there's, there's something in us that we wanted to, like, there, there was something that, you know, therapy didn't fix. And there mm. was something that like, you know, we just didn't feel like there was anything else in this world besides this, this great gift from India that um, let us become more stable, mm -hmm. right? F for lack of a better word, and let us, and calmed us, but that at the root, we're just the same as everybody else. We just are equipped with more tools to deal with our own stuff, mm. you know? I think that's kind of the, the main thing, but when you get good at yoga, that doesn't mean all the stuff goes away. This is what people forget. Yeah. Like, that doesn't mean all that stuff goes away. It just means that you're more able to hit it head on rather than distract yourself and let it grow and take root in you and lead to this dis-ease, as my, uh, my, my, my co-teacher Julia would say. Ah, oh, that's great too. I love that. You're mm -hmm. more able to hit it head on. Yeah. Because, I absolutely am as a result of my practice. Yeah. I mean, you, otherwise, you know, we would just use, you know, a lot of people use drinking or they use, you know, whatever it is, like there's an escape. And a lot of people, and this is going to sound really weird, a lot of people use yoga yeah. as that escape, yeah. right? And it, But not in the beneficial sense, mm -hmm. in the sense of, you know, I'm just going to have somebody tell me what to do and I'm going to do a lot of push-ups and I'm going to feel better afterwards. And like that, I would say, is just distracting yourself just as much as going to watch Netflix. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> It is. I mean, and um, if you don't really know yourself and your body chemistry well enough, it's very easy to confuse that endorphin high with a calm mind. 
Mm-hmm. But I, you know, you know, and I know that all the tension comes back sometimes more intensely, of course. Um, unless we've actually processed it. And that's the sign of a really good yoga teacher. I think a lot of really popular yoga teachers will give students that endorphin fix. But there's in all of the really good or effective yoga classes, and by effective I mean able to quiet my mind um, in a meaningful way, not just from an endorphin hit there have always been a really challenging point in them Mm -hmm. where I'm like, this sucks. I want to leave. You know, what are my excuses for leaving? Could anyone see me if I left Would you know, would they think less of me if I left? And just this whole narrative of, I don't want to be here. I don't want to go. And, um, those are the classes where I leave and I feel a real meaningful shift. Mm -hmm. That's the, the ego just downshifting a little bit. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great way to put it. Um, and I wanted to go back just for a moment about the the life response, because mm-hmm. here's the thing: like when you read, and I'm a I'm a big admirer of reading uh, the vast literature of yoga, right? And so, right, the Upanishads and um, you know all the different um, type of sutras that are out there, and for a lot of a lot of it. All these, all these great writings are, are people who have had a mystical experience and somebody wrote it down. So like teaching from life, you could, you, that is what yoga teachers do, mm-hmm. right? You, you, you go through something, you witness something, um, and the glory of it is something you want to share, right? But it's truth. In other words, it's not just your opinion about something that happened, opinions they change and mm. they're they don't last and but a truth that happens in an experience that you share with somebody else well that's forever um and that's when, why you can read something like these sutras you can read the upanishads you can say you know what i know exactly what that guy's talking about i know exactly what she's saying mm. um and so teaching there really is no substitute to teaching from life you can't do it any other way, really. Yeah. You, you could read it in a book and try to say exactly what it says in the book, but it'll come off as inauthentic, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's a great answer. I, I agree wholeheartedly, <laughs> too. I've definitely, in my early days, tried teaching from a book, and I'm like, I don't understand this crap, but it sounds good. Yeah. Uh, but when you have access, you know, this points of pure awareness or mystical experiences or however you want to describe them, it, it is a complete game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also doing, you're doing retreats too. Yeah. 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 We've got a couple of retreats coming up. Um, the closest one, probably not, no one from this audience will come, but I'm doing a regional one in Southwest Australia and that's just a weekend one. Um, so if anyone in DC wants to fly down to Western Australia for three days, let me know, hit me up. Mm -hmm. And then next year, this is really exciting. Um, I'm taking a group. I'm co-leading with the taking a group down to Peru for a plant medicine, ayahuasca and yoga retreat mm-hmm. for 11 days. And what got you what got you into that? That is hmm, one thing that I got from my practice and from Brené Brown to be honest mm-hmm. was dive into the discomfort. And I did that as much as I could with my yoga and I was feeling so incredibly comfortable it was stunting my growth and that's one of the reasons i shut down shop and moved to perth which is this mantra for myself of 
keep moving into uncomfortable experiences, keep moving into uncomfortable experiences. And it's been amazing. I mean, that is still my mantra, like cold water immersion, jumping into the ocean in the middle of winter. That's a really uncomfortable experience, um, but it was purposeful and helpful. And so when given the opportunity to sit with this plant medicine with Aya, um, that to me was one of the scariest things that I could imagine doing for myself. And so I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, like you could say like, well, jumping off a building is scary. Why don't you do that? But, you know, the caveat here is I'm wanting to do things that I've researched and learned about um, from talking to other people and just from, from information that I've gathered in various ways for myself through different media. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm referring to. And was there something particular about ayahuasca or is it just sort of psychedelics in general? That medicine in particular, one of the, I think the reasons people um, benefit from it, but also are uh, reluctant to explore it is because it's very common that you come face-to-face with the parts of yourself that you have been most resistant to see. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, if you're not ready to see them, or even if you are ready to see them, it's an incredibly confronting experience. Um, And it definitely was from me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had... I can speak to one experience in particular where I saw 10 years of my life pass by and saw myself kind of actively rejecting acts of love that people were offering to me. And even though perhaps cerebrally I knew that I had a difficult time receiving love, but was very easy to offer love, um, witnessing it in that way was, was very, um, confronting, but also very therapeutic. And it was my inability to receive love that was really profoundly tied to my, um, lack of self-worth. Mm-hmm. So in unwinding all of those at the same time, I was able to work through, I'm not kidding, 10 years of depression, of medication, of on and off suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. And for months after that experience, I kept thinking, well, my depression is going to come back every day. I don't want to disclose this. I don't want to tell people that I've worked through my depression. Um, but it's been a good amount of time since then, and I have felt great ever since. I mean, honestly, I feel like I'm such a different person. My partner will tell you I'm such a different person. Like mm-hmm. I'm such a more engaged partner and person and just everything. I just feel like a more whole human because I was able to, to see that part of myself mm-hmm. that I hadn't yet been able to see. That's fantastic, man. Mm. That's all. Congratulations. Yeah. I think that's, I think congratulations are in order. That's like, thank you. <laughs> that's like amazing. Yeah. Um, so would the idea be that you would sort of be doing the, the, the plant-based part of the trip like separately, but you like, you wouldn't be like, like taking ayahuasca and then trying to do like sun salutations. You or, would not. Or is, you would, or is that? You would not. <laughs> Um, Although you and I might find that fascinating. I don't think the general population would. You'd be very dizzy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, they're they're separated out. So 
the kind of like the recovery days between sessions is between the ceremony is when you'd be going through a yoga class with me and mm-hmm. like a much more gentle, gentle class, like more focusing on myofascial tissue. One other kind of one of the many things I've seen from working with this medicine is like a real, real visceral, like um, undeniable connection between your issues and your tissues, which is mm-hmm. a really common yoga saying. But yeah. again, that was something that I kind of cerebrally understood. But now I feel it and see it all the time in my body. And whenever I'm like working through a particular tissue group, usually corresponds with a chakra, which usually corresponds with like a way of thinking or energy. So now I, I can't separate those anymore where I could before. Mm-hmm. So we'll be doing um, a lot more focus on like slow, myofascial, gentle releases that are accessible to, to anyone. Um, so it's if you're coming to like get ripped and do like two hour, you know, sweaty asana practices, right. that's not going to happen. And chances are you won't want to do that anyway when you're um, in these really deep states of healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, where can we find you online? So that particular retreat would be heart of the mother retreats.com, which mm-hmm. will be in the show notes, I think. And then all my other retreats and offerings will be on my website, Eric Schwarz yoga.com. Mm-hmm. Um, any, uh, any books, podcasts, music, yoga stuff that you, that really jazzes you that you'd like to share with? <clears throat> yes. Two. I'll give yeah, two. Yeah. One, one is directly yoga and that would be Stuart Watkins podcast. Um, he's just a phenomenal teacher and, uh, he's got so many great guests. Brian Kest is on there. Um, yeah, he's, he's just a great teacher, teacher friend of mine. And this might not be directly yoga, but he did yoga, does yoga at one time, rewilding with Daniel Vitalis. Mm -hmm. He hasn't done a new episode in probably two years, but the archive goes way back and he's had some pretty crazy topics on there that have rechange the way I think about the modern world and how we live in a civilized world and how our yoga practice can help us um, stay connected to the essence of our being as creatures of this earth, as um, inhabitants of this earth rather than conquerors Mm -hmm. of this earth. A lot of our modern lifestyle is really about tied to maybe not not consciously practiced but tied to um, colonization and conquering and dominating the land so he's really about unwinding that Mm -hmm. Mm. um and then uh any now that you've been gone from Mm. dc for for a while any kind of like like thirty thousand foot thoughts about uh the dc yoga scene that you you kind of like have digested now and and sort of been like, oh, you know, I didn't realize that, or now I do. And hmm. Ah, oh, that's such a great one. I think I'll answer a different question if that's okay. That's okay. I, yeah. I don't have a, a super great answer for that one, but well, I, I do. I'll say two answers. Um, the thirty thousand feet one is that DC yoga is awesome. Like. There are so many prolific, amazing, wholehearted teachers in this community, and they're just getting better and better. And there are more that are coming in and coming in. And I really don't like the 
model of people saying like the market is saturated or there's not enough work out there. I'm sure like 0.04% of people in DC do yoga. So if you make your yoga interesting and find a way to connect with people who aren't being connected to, um, there will be a way to, to teach yoga and, and share the gift. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm seeing more of that come up, like, um, more offerings, like you said, and stonewall yoga and queer yoga. Like that is awesome that these are going on. We love stonewall yoga. I haven't had a chance to teach yet. So if you're out there, Stonewall, please invite me. Chris is a great ally. <laughs> he is a great ally. I, w- I went to yeah. one. I went to one as a uh, as a model for. Uh, I think when uh, I think when Luke Lukens was teaching, I went there as a. I did it like up on the stage. You I know, bet they a, love they you. Ate <laughs> you up exactly. Um, so, so if you're out there, Stonewall. <laughs> um, and gosh, the other bit. Oh, I love um, that. There's so many more studios since I left. So many more yeah. rad studios. So mm-hmm. just more platforms for people to be teaching and and offering this love out into the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thanks for coming on the show, Eric. It was a blast. It was awesome. Great man. to see you. Uh, it was so good to see you. Um, and uh, hopefully you'll come back, plan to come back to D.C. Yeah, I'll be back next year. I've already paid a deposit on doing a retreat next summer. So Wait. I haven't... Uh, advertise it yet but it'll be on my website probably in a couple of months I, i'm not ready to start um to start opening that up just yet but cool. but uh that's happening awesome well we'll get you back on the show when you come back yeah i'm looking forward to it That'd be great um all right you've been listening to the dc yoga podcast um i've been here with eric schwartz and producer panama at hardcast media studios uh we'll see you guys next time take care <laughs>